0: Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Small. Our usual reminders as we begin. First, I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you, living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. What you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we were joined by communications specialist Jennifer Abrams. We had a lively discussion about how our communication skills, or lack thereof, impact our health. I hope you enjoyed meeting this special friend who is an exemplar of living well with MS and that you found her communication suggestions helpful. This episode, we are joined by another very special guest returning to Misunderstood for the third time, Robbie Gillette, known as Beneath the Tracksuit, to discuss his most recent book, A Diagnosis Journey. We'll also talk about the other MS advocacy work he's doing for our shared MS community as he turns the anguish of his MS diagnosis into a world of good for himself and others. I am a firm believer that we can learn a lot through the sharing of our stories, and as I live longer with MS and encounter more and more people living with MS who are willing to swap story, a number of informative patterns have emerged. For my gratitude portion of our episode today, I'd like to share about an upcoming opportunity you are invited to attend, a two-session free workshop with myself and Dr. Susan Peyrovi in January. As long-time listeners know, Dr. Susan is a functional and integrative medicine doctor who practices at Stanford. She helped me stabilize my MS progression in 2016 and continues to support my ongoing health and wellness as my doctor and my friend. The longer I live with MS, the more obsessed I become in my quest to better understand my MS. To do this, since MS manifests uniquely in each of us, I've learned to look back at my life through an informed neurological lens. By doing so, with Dr. Susan's help, we've been able to illuminate healing pathways for me moving forward. And as time passes and my healing in different areas becomes more pronounced, I am more convinced than ever that better understanding our past and our pathway to MS is critical in finding our way forward to a place of healing. While we're still hammering out the specifics, know that this workshop will be a two-part series. During the first session on January 9th at 4 o'clock Pacific time, we'll learn a lot about MS and what to look for in our individual historical timelines and family trees. Participants will have a chance to hear more about my story as an example and Dr. Susan's and also learn what helpful info we've gleaned. You'll also get to engage with other participants to get to know more folks living with MS and to begin the brainstorming process for creating your own unique historical MS timeline. During the second session on January 16th, again at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time, we'll revisit these now-completed timelines and share different pathways forward to consider given each participant's unique historical MS markers and current symptoms. I wanted to mention this upcoming workshop today because as Robbie and I recently met up to chat about his most recent publication, A Diagnosis Journey, much of what Dr. Susan and I are planning to address at the workshop came up. So as you listen to Robbie's Diagnosis Journey today... Be thinking about the potential parallels of your own journey that led to your MS diagnosis and consider signing up to attend the free virtual two-session workshop with Dr. Susan. Check TrueMedicineMS.com for more workshop details and to sign up. Without further ado, let's dive right into my recent conversation with Robbie. Okay. Hey, Robbie, Thank you for being here. It is great to see you again.
1: Oh, no problem. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure.
0: Oh, mine as well. So I'm stoked you're here today to talk about your latest book, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. But I also want to hear a little bit about what else you've been up to. I hear you've been doing some live events. You want to catch us up get us up to speed with what you've been up to?
1: Yeah. So I perform my poetry I perform my poetry I was going to just open mic nights and things like that to build some confidence and then in the summer um I put put it out there on Instagram onto a like onto a festival and then a guy messaged me back and say I'm the guy that gets people on stage send me your work and I'll get you on stage and he did he got me on stage that was awesome that was awesome uh yeah so on stage at a festival outside live I got to perform in shades which made it really cool (laughs) um but yeah no that was brilliant that was brilliant um so so now we're we're working on a show we're working on a show
0: great great and getting more comfortable sharing your story with larger groups of people or
1: yeah yeah no it's it's brilliant i love it
0: wow that is so so wonderful So let's talk about this second book that you have, A Diagnosis Journey. It's such a powerful story. And I think anyone living with MS is going to be able to relate to it very strongly. And frankly, people with other autoimmune conditions and chronic illnesses too. So tell us a little bit, just first of all, about how you decided to write this book.
1: Well, everybody, we've all got a story. We've all got a story. We're all on a journey and i i felt like mine was slightly odd because i was diagnosed twice um, they gave me a diagnosis then they said maybe probably not ms and then it could be something else which is actually a different autoimmune disease vasculitis and then so they sent me back in and i had to do all of the tests again and then they diagnosed me with ms um yeah so, so we all have a journey and i wanted to share mine. I. The success of the first book was phenomenal. Um, So the second book, if I can keep helping people with sharing what, with doing what I do, then why not? Because I could, if if I could have, no, wait, hold on. If I'd have known me when I was diagnosed, I would have really helped me, I think. I think somebody like me, because I'm my age, I'm young and it's scary and but not many people spoke out like like I do. Um, but now there's there's a whole army of us now. There's a whole army of us now that speak out and, it, and it's fantastic and it's really it's a really good place to be and it's really a good thing to be a part of. And so if I can share my journey and other people can relate and feel comfort in that that it's similar to theirs, then if it helps them, And it helps me. It helps me, too, because it makes me feel not alone. It really makes me feel not alone. That's one of the biggest things with Beneath the Tracksuit as a whole. It really makes me not feel so alienated because there's a whole tribe of us all over the globe.
0: There is. And, you know, we all share that feeling of feeling alienated until people like you create works of art that bring us together and help us feel not so alone, not so alone. So, so beautiful. And, you know, it's so interesting. You say that your diagnosis story is unique. And of course, all of ours are. And yet one of the things I think that so many of us don't understand it until later in our journey is that the average diagnosis takes three and a half years And many of us get this whole, you know, it's not a straight line, right? Um, We get, you know, told we might have had a stroke, um, brain tumors, like there's so many things, back surgeries are another big one. And it's just, it's such a difficult path. And I applaud you for sharing all of the ups and downs that you experienced, because that's really going to help people realize that, um, you know, they're not alone in that frustration. And it's so stressful, right? All of those ups and downs.
1: Yeah no 100% one of the biggest things i picked up on is the younger years I've got a a thing about younger a chapter about younger years in the book and I've had a few people message me since say I've read your book and the younger years I felt the same but they palmed me off with this and they said it might be that or it's nothing because it goes away as quick as it turns up um and when you're young, you're just, you don't really think about it. You're 15 and then these symptoms have disappeared. You're like, well, yeah, it's over. And then you carry on and then you carry on. But, and then as you get older and then now at 35, I can sit there and say, I believe I had MS from 12, 13 years old. Um, and I really felt that was important to put the younger years in there. And then the amount of people that have messaged me saying, thank you, because now they feel like they... They know, like, it could have happened to them. This could be them. And it's not that I like that because I don't wish that on anybody, but I like what it does for someone. I think that that's important. I think that's important for somebody to go, you know what, I'm so glad he did that because I am not alone in this.
0: I'm so glad, too, because, you know, there aren't a lot of people out there talking about these early signals that we get, right? And they do say that the prodromal uh, period, which is about five to 10 years before our diagnosis, that there are these things that are happening to us that are kind of unexplained, right? Or they come and go. But just think about the more we can get the word out about that, people could have earlier interventions and maybe not end up incurring as much damage as we have. So I did want to tell you that there actually are some really exciting things going on in my world around that idea. Dr. Susan Peyrovi from Stanford, who's my physician who lives with MS, um, we're doing a workshop in January where uh, it's a two-part workshop where people are going to actually look back and trace kind of these signposts in their lives. Most of these things for those of us that have had symptoms for a long time start around the onset of puberty. And so if we can help people kind of identify these early symptoms and then you know use those as clues in how to move forward to heal, like that's really, really exciting for me. So I was thrilled to read this part in your book because no doctor's even asked me about that kind of history but I certainly had a lot of interesting things like similar to you like with my finger yeah my finger would get stuck and you were talking about your hand curling
1: yeah. and it curls shut like that um yeah and that was that was quite early on
0: and um, that's an unexplainable weird thing yeah. right that, that yeah. no one's talking about my finger would get stuck bent and I'd have to manually <laughs> you know bend it back and you know doctors just were like I don't know that's kind of a weird thing um so thank you for that and it's so funny you know all these things we have to do to try to figure out our own story i am so sorry that a doctor told you at some point that it quote unquote could be your fault how did that
1: feel Uh, not not the best not the best but i sort of took on what he said because the way he explained vasculitis was and how something could have done that to yourself, then it made me think about: Did I actually do that? Have I actually done that? Have Have I actually done that? And then I started processing about maybe it is me, maybe I did it to myself. But and then obviously as the tests come through and it's not you, and but it didn't make me feel great. It didn't no. feel great? It didn't make me feel no. great. Yeah. now
0: I do think there is a little bit a little bit of truth there that there are some things we can do to better our situation yeah. which also talking about about in the book and you're on a pretty good clip right now right
1: yeah yeah I'm trying I'm trying so yeah i am just trying to do I'm trying to do what I can to keep myself all right um I eat well I drink well I sleep well I try my hardest anyway um yeah I, I try and I try and do what I can to help better myself um, in a physical side of side of life. I try.
0: And with your mental health too.
1: And, and with my mental health, writing is a, is a game changer for me. Writing is a game changer for me. Somebody wrote a poem earlier that um, was actually a really, really good poem. And he, he put it on the group. He, I have a beneath the tracksuit group and he put it in the group and, um, and, he said to me the other day, he said, I've been writing poetry, but you wouldn't think it. That's this is what he said to me, you wouldn't think it, but I've written a poem. He said, You're inspiring me, Robbie. And and, and that's uh that's that's worth its weight in gold, words like that. Um it's it's amazing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a couple questions for you about, um, your younger years, just based on some of the things that you wrote. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of people in our community, so I have this interesting vantage point where I get to hear a lot of stories and see kind of patterns. And I'm <laughs> curious, you mentioned in your younger years being kind of uh, clumsy, um, and yeah. also, you know, rough and tumble and yeah. I wondered if you have a history at all of any concussions before you were 18.
1: No, I've, ne- I've never been concussed. Never okay. been concussed. Um, I had this. This is a strange one. This. This I didn't write in the book. I probably should have written this in the book. Maybe this will come out later on. But um, I, I can kick myself in the head. <laughs> okay. so, so you would have seen Jackass at some point, and you remember <laughs> the tiny guy, um, wee man, kick himself in the head. I used to do that um, from probably the age of thirteen to the age of till I got on my walking stick I could still do it. Um I'm, I'm not so great at doing it anymore, but I could do that. So maybe mild concussion there somewhere.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> interesting. Half, yeah. Wow. Okay. So you could have had some sort of mild concussion too. It's, know, you know, though. it's just interesting. It's it, it's not everyone either remembers um yeah. or fits that story, but it seems like more and more when we dig into the history, there are um, instances of that. So thank you um, for that. So let's shift. I really, you have some really powerful quotes in your book, and I'm hoping that today I can kind of, um, maybe read some of those quotes and have you expand on that a little bit, like tell Uh us kind of what you were thinking and, and just your thoughts about those. So for example, one quote you said that just really hit home for me was to find my real strength. I needed to go through real pain. Talk to us about that.
1: So I, I heard this a long time ago. It's uh it's, you have a breakdown before a breakthrough. And it sort of stems from that. I struggled a lot in my life growing up, teenage years, early 20s. And then when I got diagnosed, I obviously I struggled more. And it just added to the mental health fire that was on inside me. Um, but and then after I started pulling out of my last severe bout of depression was when I started writing, and that was the breakthrough for me. So, but so I'd gone through all of this pain before, and then I began writing, and then that's where I found my strength behind the pen, and and so that that's where it that's where it comes from, um, yeah. But I I, I, had, to, I had to go through all of that. I had to go through everything that I'd been through up until I was 30, before I started, right, 31 or 32 or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I had to go through all of that before I made a breakthrough with my mental health. And now now I have a positive way of dealing with my mental health. And I have lots of friends to share my issues with around my, not just MS, but my mental health too, um, all around the world. Um, I, I have um, a, a network that I can be up at 3 o'clock in the morning and it can be 2 o'clock in somebody's afternoon and I can call someone, um, regardless. And, and that's, that's, beca- that's be- happened because of my breakthrough of all of the friends that I have now. This is the third time I've been on, on your show. Uh, yeah. And th- again, this wouldn't have happened without the breakdown. Um, and so this is where I found, found myself. The other side of a pet.
0: Yeah, and thank you for sharing that because you know, for so many of us, when we're in that moment where we're broken and shattered into pieces. We feel like there's not anything positive ahead for us, and yet look what you've done. You've used your writing to build yourself back up, to put yourself back together, to form a support network for yourself and others, and I just see you as such a strong advocate for our shared MS community. It's just so beautiful how you've, you know, let that that brokenness transform you and others. So thank you for that. You have a a poem in the book called Broke Me that is just so, so powerful that I know people will love um, to hear. And you're welcome to share that with us now if you'd like, Um, or people can, we can kind of use that as a carrot for people to um, invest in your book. What do you think?
1: I'll I'll read it. I'll I'll read it.
0: Yeah.
1: Broke Me. It broke me when the illness came. A few, It started as a few tiny scars. They just appeared in the brain. It broke me emotionally when the uncertainty came. I felt my life was fading. I couldn't accept it will never be the same. It broke me physically when the symptoms came. My body was falling apart. There was nothing I could do and no one to blame. It broke me mentally when the depression came. These intrusive thoughts were beating on me. will destroy me again and again. It broke me when all the changes came. But I'll never give up on myself. I can only learn to live with the pain. Broken.
0: Thank you. It's so special to read your poems, but um, to hear you read them to us is really special.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Ooh, let's shift gears a little. Let's talk about another theme I that really comes through in your book. And that is reluctance. Um, there was a quote in there, I'm not using that. Uh, <laughs> and this really beautiful journey from I'm not using that to acceptance and to gratitude for the help of these tools. So talk to us a little bit about your relationship with tools.
1: I've never really looked at it like you just said there even though i wrote it i've never really looked at it like that but that whole that whole chapter there is is its own little journey in itself if you like like you've just said but i've never really looked at it like that um but yeah here it is um as for tools i always said no to everything um donna would tell you um we have the joke i go no 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 oh all right all right. Um, we, we have the joke. She knows I say, I say no to pretty much everything. Um, I think I was 30. I just turned 30 when I needed a walking stick. And at first I refused to use a walking stick. I would push a push bike everywhere instead. I, I did that at first instead of using a walking stick because my balance was just terrible and I couldn't hold my knees up. And then when it became apparent that I couldn't really push the push bike anymore, I needed to use a walking stick. And then a uh, scooter. That was a big one to, to swallow as well. I I don't want to be 30 riding a mobility scooter. They're for old people. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're for people that need it. But I'd had to knock these stigmas out of myself on the way. Um, no, they're not for old people. They're for people that need it um and then mark hart i am not driving one of them things around the shop not a chance and then eventually i got in one and then the lady at the shop at asda in the uk she came over and she said to me thank you for getting in there i'm sick and tired of seeing you fall around this shop so um but so yeah, so it was no. But now I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my walking stick. It definitely helps. I've got one for outside and one for inside, um, so I don't get the dirt from outside. In the, yeah, so I've got an outside walking stick and an inside one. Um, my, my mobility scooter, I love it. I love it. I can't. I can't go anywhere without it. Can't go anywhere without it. You just get it out. It comes in five parts in the boot. Put it out of the car. Donna does most of the lifting, pretty much, um, and then I can just drive it around everywhere and now walking's not an issue and the mark carts are great the mark carts are great and the list goes on with it all the eye patch i'm not using an eye patch all right i'll use one what do i need a shower seat for all right i'll use one and self-catheterization was the last one i think was the biggest no no yes because that one was scary that one was really that one was terrifying um yeah, that, that was really terrifying. And the, when the nurse came down um, and she helped me and it didn't go well at all, there was lots of tears and lots of swearing and I, it didn't work. And then I eventually took a load for myself and I said, listen, I'll make this work in my own time. And I made it work. And now I can, because I, can, I couldn't empty my bladder, so I couldn't sleep. Um, because I'd always oh, need a toilet but then I'd go to the toilet and I couldn't go to the toilet because it wouldn't work so this this was a had to be done but I remember a conversation me and the neurologist had two years prior and we spoke about this and we went through in detail what it, what it involved and we both agreed like that was not happening at all, it wasn't a very nice thing to be doing at 32 when I needed it I think and we both agreed that it wasn't happening and then in my book it tells you about a conversation i had with my ms nurse julie at the time two years later and she terrified me because i don't deal well with talking about stuff and then but she went into grave detail about what it entailed and at the other end of the phone i i was queasing and going green i think Um, But she was she was being brilliant. Um, My MS nurse Julie is brilliant, um, but she didn't know how I was feeling about that. The other end of the phone. Um, But eventually, I got there and I did it. And now I can't do without them. I can't do without them. Two years of not being able to sleep overnight, overnight sleeping like a baby because I can empty my bladder from two years of fighting it, because I'm too young. I'm not doing that. That's not happening. That is not supposed to fit in there. And now I'm like, here we go, here we go. I couldn't do without it. And I said this to somebody the other day that they're a game changer for me. And I hope it can be a game changer for him. I spoke, I have a good friend that he is in the States. And he said about, he might have to use them and he feels more comfortable since speaking to me saying about using them and and that makes me feel good because for me it was horrific and for other men too i can pretty much say that it might be terrifying terrifying um but it's once once you've done it you you just you're getting through it so i just go through it now it just doesn't matter i just go into the bathroom do it it's done don't think about it um but yeah no 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 yes
0: <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's we're all so fiercely independent. We don't want to have to use these tools. Um, I have so many friends with MS that I engage with regularly who are on the cusp of needing something, but we're just we, we're so reluctant. And so yeah. the way that you so openly shared that whole journey, I think is going to be so powerful for so many people. And I just I, I want to thank you again for for sharing that because we we make our lives actually so much more difficult by being so reluctant for so long
1: I, I had to share it because it wouldn't be fair to say here I am I use all of this stuff and it never bothered me because in fact it destroyed me all the way through but with massive lights at the end of the tunnel yes yeah and and that's that's what I can say in my life I couldn't live my life now without what I've what I've had to go through and my favorite my favorite my favorite tool I have is my bed guard honestly it's amazing I love it (laughs) it's the most random thing ever but it just sits at my bed and I lift myself up with it and I put myself down and I'm glad I have it because if I get out of bed without using it I fall over because my feet don't find their bearings but this thing honestly it's amazing and it just sits in the side of my bed and it's quite comfy for an armrest too. Um, but that, that was the biggest one for me. I'm very happy about my bed guard.
0: (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't know if what I have is a bed guard or not. It's more like a, a stool that I got actually for, um, we have a high bed in our guest room and I I, I bought it to help shorter people um, get into the guest room bed. And now I'm using it just as like an extra thing to stabilize myself when I get yeah. out of bed, especially with um, this injury I have right now. And, you know, yeah, it's the simplest thing, but I think a lot more people out there need things like that. Uh, to help us especially when we first try to get up and get on our feet so i'm glad you mentioned the bed guard and i can't wait to learn more about it because it probably would work better than the makeshift stool that um
1: that i'm using it's fantastic it's a metal bar that just hooks underneath the mattress and hooks up the top it's probably not called a bed guard but i'm pretty sure it's, it's it's like a bed guard it can stop you falling out of bed too so but it's great
0: wonderful wonderful ah and, and yes these are tools and i think of the more we can think about that and and see them as you know tools that help us be able to live as much as possible and yes. do as much as possible um so i know you know if if i get to the point where i need a constant mobility aid i am really hoping that i can learn from people like you who have you know gone that path before me and who now see it as a really awesome thing
1: yeah yeah it is yeah it is I love mine love my mobility scooter I, I pretty much all of it I think they're all great they're all great but like I said at first I said no it was scary
0: well and it is scary so let's talk you also have some other themes in your book that I want to get to um about like control right? And, and I think that actually has a lot to do with the aids and tools that we're talking about too. We want to be in control of our lives. And when we, when we have to, quote unquote, use a tool, we feel out of control. And you talk a lot about control and change and um, change as a constant. And that I think the quote that really hit me that you said is, change became my reality. And you have a poem called Keep Adjusting. Talk yeah. to us a little bit about how you just like, keep adjusting. Um, another thing you said was I build that ladder again and I climb out of that hole again.
1: Yeah. 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 That's pretty much depression in a sentence. That one because the amount of depression. It's like falling into a hole, um, and, and being in there. And then you, you have to build a mental ladder to climb back out of that depressive hole that you found yourself in and then but no matter how many times the ladder breaks you get back out and you fall back down and you have to get back out again and mental health is it is a rift it is it's difficult it's difficult I still I battle depression all the time not like just because I'm not clinically depressed all the time it doesn't mean I don't get depressed Um, it's only a week ago I was actually really bad for three days um, I just fall into a little hole, and I distance myself from a, a lot, and then I have to climb back out of that hole again. And, and yeah. that's
0: it. And I think every time we encounter another hardship, another struggle, or just our brain chemistry that day, right? Yeah. Like these, it's this is such a highly variable condition, and that's another theme I think that that you addressed so skillfully in your book is that. MS manifests uniquely for each of us and we don't have control. There's some things we can do to support our health, but who knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And so you're right. Being able to have that tenacity and perseverance inside you that you're just going to, you're going to rebuild the ladder. It may take a while, but you're going to get out of that hole.
1: Yeah. Yeah. no, That's that's it. and, And that is, that's pretty much the quote. Like, is it, you just got to keep climbing. Just got to keep climbing. climbing.
0: Now you had another conversation. Um, I don't remember if this was with your your care nurse or someone else, but they, they gave you this advice that I thought listeners would love to hear um, about an elephant. If they gave you an elephant to eat, how would you eat that?
1: This, like I said, mental health has been quite prevalent in my life. And a couple of years ago, not long after I well, was probably about five years after I've been diagnosed when symptoms started to show, um, quite a lot. But before my last definitive relapse, which put me to where I am now, but I was always smart mouth with her. She, um, but she was very nice and really supportive. And I would chuck all of this issue on it that these are all of my problems. You want me to fix it how am I going to fix myself? And she drew, she just drew a picture of an elephant on this bit of paper. And I was really baffled. And she's like, tell me how you would eat that. And I said, well, you can't eat an elephant whole, can you? So you're going to have to eat it piece by piece. And she said, that's how you've got to look at your life. That's how you've got to look at all of them problems that you've just thrown at me. And you've got to take it one piece by piece, by piece, by piece. And I worked with her for quite a while and she was very good. She's very good. And I, I, when I work with a counselor, I always end up coming out really refreshed, really refreshed. And there's a few things that I take from that sits with me, my brain, my memory is terrible. So if I can take just one really good thing, as well as the mood, my mood's lifted, I, if I can take something from that. And I'm very grateful and you can't eat an elephant hole is something that I I love and I try and I try to live by that sometimes I get a bit overwhelmed um but I try to live myself by you can't eat an elephant hole yeah and that was brilliant when she said that to me and I, that will stick with me forever
0: It is brilliant. And I hope if someone's listening, especially someone newly diagnosed and you're in that place of overwhelm, fear, shock, awe, you know, you just, you don't know where to turn. Just remember that elephant one piece at a time. You know, MS didn't develop for any of us. In a day, we're we're not going to get to a much better place in one day either. It's going to take time, and so I was so grateful that you shared that analogy. I think it's just such a um, important thing for us to constantly remember.
1: Yeah.
0: Now you and I have something else in common. (laughs) Our depression hides behind a smile, and you have several poems about that. That smile. See a smile. Talk to us a little about what that's like
1: it, it's hard it is hard but having kids is that's probably the biggest um but i have to hide behind a smile a lot with it i try my hardest to be um, my my daughter is brilliant she's quite open to the fact of depression and mental health um but again i still smile a lot and then when i'm out and about and people oh hiya you're all right, robbie And I'm like, yes, I'm fine. And I've got a smile on my face. And you keep keep a smile. You keep a smile. Um, There's a few reasons you keep a smile. When you look in the mirror, a smile changes things. Um, When people start asking you, oh, what's the matter? And if you've got a sad face on. And you don't want to tell people the answer. Particularly if it's somebody just in the street or somebody up the road or just a guest or oh what's the matter with you um it's sort of because that's not a safe space to just blurt out all of my issues to someone um so i i hide it all behind a smile we most most of us do it we just keep going we just keep going and we have a smile and we have our our safe places where we'll let it out where we'll vent it out mine is genuinely on paper or with donna uh, but yeah, just keep a smile. Why not?
0: Honestly, that's, that's often the easier road to take. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate in your book that you actually went there though, and also talked about the not needed side, right? Because, um, we all have some people in our, in our lives where, you know, it can be more difficult to be so honest and sometimes a smile and I'm good is just easier, um, so you, you have this wonderful, um, you, you write about what you call the not needed side. And you mentioned the people I was closest to became specialists on how I should live my life. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, best intentions that people have versus the impact it has on us. And, um, and, you know, the hardships of that.
1: Sometimes, sometimes someone's best intentions for you can more be like a selfish part on them. Um you'll be all right. Come and help me do this. Uh it's okay. You'll get over it. Um and and then sometimes it's nice. It's nice, but sometimes I feel like it's more of a way to shut you up. Um like don't don't talk to me about your issues. I don't really want to hear it. You're actually fine while you're being a baby get over it sort it out. These are the sort of things that People can say to you, people do say to you, people do say to you. Um, It's not what you want to hear. It's not what you want to hear. You're really struggling and somebody calls you a drama queen. That's not what you want to hear. No, you need, especially if you've gone to someone, if you've gone to somebody for support and they've told you to just get over it or they've called you a drama queen or they're saying something that they just want to shut you up and they're not really listening Sometimes it's not on them because not everybody has got the, the brain power to listen to somebody or has got the space in their brain to consume somebody else's issues maybe. Um, and some people are just downright rude. Um, <laughs> yeah, and some people are just downright rude. Um, but it's when I think trying to come to somebody, go to somebody when you are struggling, it's about finding the right network and making your circles for that sort of issue, know where you're safe, know where you're safe. I have a few friends I can go to if I'm struggling. I obviously has, have Donna, um, but I have a few few friends where I know I can go and be like, mate, I'm not all right, and and they'll listen, and they'll listen, and I'm that for a few other people too, and and they can come to me, and they do come to me, and that's important. To find your right circle. You don't have to cut the whole world off, but find your circle of trust. I think that's that's probably a good way of saying it. Find a circle that you can trust yourself and you can trust others. And then keep your emotions um, shared there. And then you save yourself getting hurt. There's ma- many times I've gone to people are oh, this is an issue and they've just told me, get over it, or I don't care, or I already know all about your issues. So why are you even telling me? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. And so I'm sure people are listening and you know it's it's devastating when that happens to us. And so learning that one, that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, um, but two, finding a network, building a network getting this, you know, inner circle safe of safety where you, you know, you do have people who really care about you, who have developed empathy, true empathy. Um, even though they don't understand what we're going through, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky when we can have that tight inner, inner circle. So I would encourage anyone who's listening who doesn't have that, reach out to Robbie, reach out to me. We both have big networks of people that are very welcoming, um, that will welcome you with open arms. There's no need for anyone to suffer with MS in isolation.
1: That's right. No, that's right.
0: Acceptance. Let's talk about acceptance. And, um, you mentioned you have, you know, please define normal. Um, talk to us a little bit like what is normal?
1: Yeah. What is, what is normal? There, There isn't a normal, but, um, people people give it to you well you look normal to me you look fine um when well, i am normal i'm my normal your normal might be different to my normal but that doesn't make me abnormal when i wrote that i ended up sort of a bit of a tongue twister in my little brain when i was writing that um because it was it was trying to get my head around it like see so your normal katie is different to my normal but it doesn't mean that your normal is abnormal to me yeah it doesn't mean that your normal is abnormal it just means that your normal is different to my normal so it doesn't make us abnormal but people tell us that well you look normal so there's nothing the matter with you yeah but we in a
0: very ableist world don't
1: yeah. we yeah i i am very normal i am very normal just not to your normal and not to somebody else's normal so my normal is my normal but people yeah they have a I do have a few, but yeah, you look so normal.
0: (laughs) You look good.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You look like you feel fine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) know it's, it's, it's tough. Um, the other thing along those lines of acceptance that, um, I really love that you wrote was it's okay to not be okay.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I heard that a long time ago and it is sort of just sat, sat in my head. And then when I wrote that poem, I was really not okay. And I was telling myself, this is where writing became my, this is like, writing became my outlet through things like this. And in some poems, it really shows that that's the dark place I was in at that time. And it's okay to not be okay. When I was writing that, I was really not in a good place. So I was literally telling myself, it's okay to not be okay. On paper, I was I was literally writing it to myself, and and then it and then it ends up as a poem, and and this is what happens with a lot of a lot of my poem because that's I just take the words out of my head and I I, it's like talking to myself on paper, um and it it's great it's great and and that's where that one came from, yeah,
0: it's beautiful it's a message we all need to hear and tell ourselves regularly it is okay to not be okay.
1: I, I had a guy i can't remember his name um there's so many people but he was telling me that he now lives his life by it's okay to not be okay after reading that poem, um and he'd read it off my page well before it was in the book um, and then because then yeah so yeah, well,
0: look yeah. at all of the people that you are helping. I know also that writing helps you. How did writing this book in particular get you to kind of a, a different place?
1: Well, when I was writing it, there was there was a few things that when I was writing it, um, in the acceptance part, I, I was actually sitting there writing it, thinking, this is actually me accepting my illness, right? this 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 is me actually accepting my illness as i was writing it i think i even say it in there i think you can you can call that acceptance if you like and um i was actually at that point there and i was thinking i accept this but i don't accept it at the same time and when i read this poem live um uh, no i read this part of the book live on a live stream and somebody said to me it's this you accept what your life has become but you just don't accept the ms you, you accept for who you are and how you have to live your life you just don't accept the fact that ms is here because that's not fair so and i and i sort of i i agreed with him i've i think he's right i think i've accepted the way my life is now i am where i am and i'm doing what i'm doing and i have to use all of these tools and And I am this ill and, and I do suffer depression. I just don't accept the reason for it because it's not fair, but it is what it is.
0: It is. And it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things you wrote about too, is, is you said that um, through writing the book, the, the quote was, I have it here, the meaning of love and appreciation I see in a completely different light.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. No, that's true. Um, because I see like how much of life is and I see how much I love the world that I'm in and how much I appreciate so much more. The fact that I can still manoeuvre when I've met people that can no longer manoeuvre. It doesn't matter that I can't manoeuvre as well as I did before, but I'm still moving. And I appreciate that I have... My, my tight-knit community really close to me like Donna and the kids I'm so happy here and and then my outer circle all of my that are still in my inner circle like all, all of you you and Adam especially Adam um and all of my other MS friends my uh, there's a whole list there's a whole list um that as in my inner circle and I appreciate them all so much and it's it's amazing
0: and imagine yeah. if we didn't have MS, we wouldn't have all of these beautiful people in right. our lives.
1: I think we've said that same thing before. I think we said that the last time I was on your show, which is very true. Me, and me, you and Adam were sitting in in the same room and we would probably have never have met if we didn't have MS.
0: Never, never. And so in that way, what a gift, right? And what a gift you are truly for taking the time to write this first for yourself and then to share it with others. Because, you know, I've been living with this disease for a while. I'm older than you. And yet you teach me what I need to know in the moment when I need it most. And when my battery is on empty, I can pick up one of your books and or I can, you know, go to your social media and I instantly feel better. So thank you for that, for being just a bright light, um, a ray of sunlight, um, hope, and just, you know, perseverance. You just, um, you live well with MS. And I'm just, I'm so honored to know you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And it works both ways. It works both ways. We're a team in this.
0: I, I believe so. Absolutely. So, we're since we're talking about gratitude, I would love to ask you to read one of your poems that just really resonated deeply with me um, and and brought me to tears of the good kind. Um, I'm wondering if you'd read for us. Thank you.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you has actually got Donna written all over it. (laughs) Uh, So so this one is about, about the appreciation really. Of, of what people do for each other because thank you is not said enough I don't think or it's not heard enough either because we're looked after and cared for a lot of us and so this was this was that this is thank you to the unselfish ones I applaud you to the caring ones I adore you To the ones who pick us up after we fall, thank you. I wish the world was more like you. You were there when we need to be strong. You're there when we need to be guided along, supporting us, trusting us, reminding us that it's okay and being ill doesn't make us wrong. You watch the tears whilst holding back your own. You put our pieces back together even though it breaks you. You never give up on us. You're not even the heartache that this illness puts you through. I want you to know I'm grateful. You make this world a better place. You make my world a better place. My admiration is infinite. The feelings I have for you are glorious. We may be fighters, but you fight as much as we do. From the deepest parts of my heart, I want to say thank you.
0: Donna sure is a special person. I've never met her. Not yet. Maybe Uh, one day. But um, I'm so glad that you guys have each other in your lives.
1: Oh, she looks after me.
0: (laughs) Now, you wrote in your book, my illness does not define me, but it has forced me into a new chapter. And I'm curious, what does your next chapter look like from here? What's on the horizon for you? Uh,
1: So this is... So I write I write poetry through Beneath the Tracksuit to help deal with my emotions. And I perform it as many places I can get to, open mic nights, open stages and things like that. So I started, let's say, stepping out of the emotional side of poetry. I wanted to sit because every time I go somewhere, I sort of, I make people cry. I, I leave people feeling sad. And But that's not who I am. I'm I'm not always depressed. And I said this before somewhere. I, I'm not always depressed. I just genuinely write when I'm depressed. So I had this whole idea because I'm going to make a show. So let's do it beneath the tracksuit on stage. Um, I don't like poetry. This is what the show is going to be called. I don't like poetry. Um, because the amount of people that I've gone to and said, I write poetry, and they go, well, I don't like poetry. And I used to say I didn't like poetry. So the idea is I'm going to make a show. I don't like poetry. And I'm working my way through it now. I'm working my way through it now. I've got um, on Sunday in Plymouth, which is the biggest city next to me, um, There's a, I've got a performance, so I get to test it out up there, um, which is really exciting stuff, really, really exciting. I've uh, Yeah, it's going to be really cool because I think – there is obviously MS poetry in here. There is depress- depression poetry in here, but there's a whole different world of poetry in here. There is um, there's a poem about finding love, which is very funny. There's a poem about stereotypes. There's there's lots of different poetry that I wanted to dive into and see see if I could play with in different ways. And and I'm I'm doing all right, I think. Doing all right, I think. So this is actually going to end up my third book. This is this is going to end up. This is going to end up a book. Um, so it, it will be a book. It's going to be beneath the tracksuit. I don't like poetry, but it's not really obviously. My last two books are about MS and being depression and depression. Um, but this so this is going to be like a bit of a, a side book before I go back into the third chapter of the beneath the tracksuit series but I really felt like I've got to get this off my chest. I really got to get this off my chest. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that. I'm working on that. Um, and me and Adam, um, Adam St. George, obviously we go back to work at the end of November, back together again. Um, so we can finish off our book because we're halfway through our book. Um, and that's exciting. I love working with Adam. I think he's great. He's is an MS talent like no other. I think he's amazing. He's amazing, and we're and we're close. We we talk elsewhere as well as just work with each other. I just call him up sometimes. Like oh, mate, we do. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, so I've got a song coming out in November. A new one. I just want to see if you can hear it. I've got two coming out. but One in November, and one in January. This one is called I'm Still Standing. It's a teeth this life can be difficult to live with, breaking from mental health that simply won't give. It's fighting yourself in your own head. You find yourself worthless, useless, dreaming of death. There's a complete barrier to really cool, right? think of what is reality. It's it's head is. Head. I and this one, this one's completely <laughs> different. This one is called You Saved Me. You saved me. You saw my dark path and refused to believe that this wreck was me. You saved me. You took my pain and made it your own and told me I wasn't alone. You saved me. You saved me. me. That's cool, right?
0: Wow! Yes, oh, I can't wait. And so people will be able to find the music on Spotify or or where? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I've I've already got music on Spotify, but these are the next two songs that are coming out. One in twenty fourth of November, and then uh, the other one is "You Save Me" comes out on the first of January, which is really really cool. Really
0: cool. Excellent. So for all the the pain, the angst that MS has brought into your life. Would you ever think that you would be doing these things that you're doing?
1: No, no, no. Um, I sometimes I feel like I need to slow down. Donna tells me a lot that I need to slow down because I overwhelm myself. I overwhelm myself. Um, And then I have stuff. It's like all the time, something new comes up. All the time, something new comes up. Music was... It's like an a, like an ongoing thing that I'm working with a music producer and we're gonna release all of our tunes as singles and then build it into albums, which is which is cool. Um, but then and then it just it just seems like there's a lot going on at once. Uh, I can never just dive into and go, just gonna do this. Um, but and it's what I choose to spend my days. Um not all day obviously, I have the kids and, and school runs and Donna and, but I like to it's it's really it became such a positive the writing and then it became, oh you've made poetry so now you can make music and now you can make a book, now you can do a show um, and they all sort of fall into one um, so they all just sort of falls into Beneath the Tracksuit and it, it just sort of goes from there um, but sometimes I feel like I'm taking on too much. Donna tells me that sometimes I work trying to take on too much and it's like I forget I'm ill um, But and then it makes me more ill because, <laughs> I'm, because I'm doing too much because I only have the capacity to do so much um, because obviously I can't work a 9 to 5 like most people so I work from my phone uh, and from this computer where I'm sitting now. <laughs>
0: Well, our community is so grateful for everything you are doing. Embrace wow. your pace. You know, do listen to your body. I have to remember that all the time. Embrace my pace. Embrace your
1: pace. I, I like. I
0: can't that. do everything I used to do at the same speed, like right? Yeah, do, do. That. Embrace yeah, my down. pace right? Because each of us has a different pace. Sometimes your pace today is going to be different than your pace tomorrow and just embracing it and not pushing ourselves too hard. Um, because yeah, we can still do so much and look at all the goodness you're doing. I can't, I just hope that everyone goes out and buys this book, the diagnosis journey, and then follows you on socials. We'll make sure we put all of your information there so everyone can find you. anything else you want to share with us today before we go
1: Uh, you thank me I want to thank you because I do what I do you do what you do and it's helping your show you have a whole flock that you meet with monthly and it is absolutely fantastic you do you do what you do which helps so many people too and it is brilliant because it, with MS and the fights that we do have to live, we're all in this together. We, we're in it together. And each and every one of us that makes a difference, makes a difference to somebody else, makes a difference to somebody else else. And, and it's brilliant, it is it's brilliant.
0: Thank you, sir. I certainly hope so. I mean, that's why we do what we do, right? We're helping ourselves, but we're also trying to make others feel not so alone. So yeah. I just keep on keeping on really appreciate all the goodness you're putting out into the world. And, Oh, those, those songs you played. Thanks for that sneak peek. Um, really appreciate that and really uh, look forward to meeting with you again when you have something else to share.
1: Oh, I'll always come back. You just, you just call me up. Just call okay. me up to, to come back or, or I'll just text you. <laughs> I'll come back.
0: Okay. Well take care, Robbie. And thanks again for being here. I hope you enjoyed listening to Robbie share about his new book, A Diagnosis Journey. I hope that we all, one, follow Robbie, otherwise known as Beneath the Tracksuit, on social media to share our support and so that we can benefit from his artistic brilliance. And two, that we consider purchasing his book for ourselves and others as it's powerful for everyone with MS and anyone living with a chronic or progressive illness. And three, that we consider the clues hidden in our own diagnosis journey story to forge an informed path forward. Whether this be on your own or with Dr. Susan and I at the upcoming two-part workshop in January, I hope that your excavation into your past is illuminating and leads you down roads of healing you never thought were possible. We'll also continue this conversation in shared space at our next flock meeting. The Misunderstood Flock meets the first Saturday of each month. That's this Saturday, December 2nd. If you're not yet a Flock member but would like to be, please join us. We are all people living with MS that meet via Zoom each month to support each other and continue our learning on the episode topics. We also support each other through hardships and celebrate our successes together. You can learn more and join us by visiting our Patreon page. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with MS-related questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another, and honking our encouragement. As always, thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.